0: When I shoot my shot, it's the whole wide way it's going in. Cross niggas like Bubba Chuck, I never gave a fuck. Hook shot a hole like Kareem, but I never lead a buck. I hit that Ginobi with my left hand up like, woo! Bitch, you wasn't with me shooting in the gym. James Hard with the range, on me, nigga way back. Michael Jordan, 1985, bitch, I travel with a cocaine sucker.
1: And you can live through anything if magic made it. What up, my fellow NBA lovers? This is your guy Marcellus Ease. And my oh my, of course, the association that we all love is ever changing. A lot of interesting things are happening. For starters, we're going to talk about the NBA insurance scheme that was led by Terrence Williams and how NBA contracts are not exactly what they seem to be. And I'm going to touch base on Bradley Beal and Dame Dollar, as this season they kind of face similar circumstances, but at the same time, it seems like both players don't want to make a move. And we have to start taking a step back and ask ourselves, are both of these players capping on wanting to play for a championship team? Because sometimes guys are just good with being the captain of a sinking ship. Also, Jean Moran did a sit down where he spoke about his reasoning on why he does not want to join a dunk contest. And a lot of young players, especially, and this trend pretty much started with LeBron, where guys are worried about their branding. So, does the NBA provide enough incentive in a dunk contest to get bigger names to be on it? And what about them Brooklyn boys, the Transplants, aka James Harden and Kevin Durant? There's a lot of pressure on James Harden with Kyrie out to perform. And let's not forget, James Harden is in the Eastern Conference now. It's bump and grind. Has his partying lifestyle in the past? Is it catching up to him? And also, the Nets do have a lot of pressure to start creating some sort of results because their ownership is paying a lot in luxury tax. So there's a lot of added pressure on James Harden. And speaking of James Harden, what's up with the rule changes? Adam Silver, I'm telling you, boy, he nailed it right on the head by tweaking the NBA television product, man. He's trying to keep some fans entertained because let's keep in mind the NBA has a lot of stiff competition coming from the esports, the video game world. Netflix now is opening up video game services which is included already in their pricing so there's a lot of stiff competition coming from a lot of different directions a lot of streaming services are popping up and the nba is fighting for eyeballs they're fighting for attention especially from younger viewers so we'll also touch base on some of these new dynamics the nba is facing today and finally i'll touch base on the ben simmons fiasco what's going on with ben and is he going to make it harder for the players to come back to that CBA table in the next upcoming years to negotiate with the owners? Because Ben Simmons wants it his way, even though he's under contract. So, is Ben pretty much setting up a new precedent for owners to come back to that new collective bargaining agreement table to tell the players hey, next time around, these contracts are going to be more strict and there'll be harsher penalties for breaching it, especially while being in mid contract? So this is something definitely that the league and Adam Silver is trying to get control of because they pretty much let it go run rampant, starting with that Anthony Davis situation down in New Orleans, when he was in mid contract and just wanted out. First, I'm gonna start off with this Terrence Williams situation. I mean, a lot of these players that were involved, I'm pretty sure had they known how sloppy this overall scheme was, they wouldn't have put their reputations on the line That they worked so hard for over the years because you got to understand a lot of these guys post retirement they're gonna make money out of their names and what they did so their reputation is very important and i don't think they would have risked it all of how sloppy this scheme really was i mean terrence williams for starters was the ringleader of this scheme and just a quick background on terrence williams he pretty much was a journeyman throughout his whole career he was 11th overall pick back in 2009 You guys already know how journeymen's careers basically go. These guys hop from team to team. But we're going to break this down piece by piece because there's multiple layers to the situation. And we're also going to relate it to current day NBA players because a lot of these contracts are not exactly what they seem like. Once again, a lot of these NBA contracts, even current day, are not exactly what they appear to be. But hold up, I'm tweaking here. Let me dial this back a bit and just talk about the overall crime that Terrence Williams did. To summarize, he basically ran an insurance scheme in which he got NBA players to put in jobs and claims that they got dental work and they went to a chiropractor. And he basically knew a few of them in real life where he got these guys to sign off on paperwork that they actually did these jobs and these NBA players will put the insurance claim and then they'll give Terrence Williams a kickback. Out of some of the money i think he made over 200 grand out of this whole scheme but all the nba players in total put in about four million dollars worth of claims and this is where it gets tricky because with that large amount it triggered an investigation from the fbi and the nba was working alongside the fbi and a lot of notable names got caught in this tony allen and his wife that's very unfortunate glenn davis shannon brown sebastian telfair darius miles a lot of these guys are very notable names and and we gotta remember they make money off their names that they worked so hard for over the years to build up and post retirement this is the name of the game but this scheme overall the reason why they got caught because it was just so sloppy i mean even so sloppy to the point where one player gregory smith put in for a root canal job when he had a game in taiwan that same day and on tony allen's end i guess all the papers that they were forging from the different dental and doctor offices they started mixing up the fonts. So a lot of these things started looking funny in the light. And at the end of the day, one of the players did not give Tony Allen a kickback and he threatened to, I don't know, snitch or just overall blow up the whole scheme, which is weird in itself. But just taking a step back in the overall medical field, the medical marketplace, I should say, because it is big business. There's a lot of money that gets funneled in that field whether it's through insurance companies, through regular individuals, a lot of money's getting funneled in a lot of different directions. And we're kind of seeing it play out even right now with this vaccine. Best believe when, when you go and get your vaccine, that is a transaction. Some people may not overtly see it, but when you go and get this vaccination, you're getting rang up as if you're buying an item. Insurance companies are getting paid. The pharmaceutical companies are getting paid. The pharmacy is getting paid or just the location where they're administrating these vaccinations, they're getting paid. So money is being funneled in a lot of different directions. There's major government contracts for a lot of these vaccinations. It's big business at the end of the day. This is America. We're in the land of capitalism. So just understanding in the medical field, money gets funneled in a lot of different directions. And it seems like Terrence Williams saw his opportunity to come up with a scheme within that. And Terrence Williams is not even a player that was as sophisticated as we've seen in the paperwork, just getting it mixed up, but he was not even a person working within the medical field and he saw his opportunity. Can you imagine the power, just the things that a clerk can see, or maybe a doctor, they get everyone's private information, their insurance companies, they can just sort of charge any price. The insurance companies might either pay it or settle. There's a lot of great areas within that field And there's a lot of people within that institution that commit fraud it's definitely in an economy inside of an economy because terrence williams is just a basketball player for him to get dentists and doctors to sign off on fake paperwork which he probably gave them a kickback also that's what i'm saying it's it's an economy within an economy that medical field man it has a lot of great areas and once again we're seeing money with this vaccination being funneled left and right within that sphere. So it doesn't surprise me that the NBA was working directly with the feds on this because that does put their medical insurance plan that they have for their players post-retirement, which is a really good plan because it covers them and their immediate families for insurance coverage because, you know, these guys play 72 games a season, well, 82 games a season post-bubble. But, you know, guys got arthritis in their legs, and now guys got to go through loopholes just to put an insurance claim because some asshole wanted to fuck up their situation. So, let's believe this This Terrence Williams situation has made it a lot harder for guys that were putting in legit claims. That's also another downfall. But the biggest downfall for the guys that were on this list was their reputations. Especially guys that were making money off their names like Sebastian Telfair. You know, he got appearances because of what he did in his high school. Darius Miles, he had a poppin' podcast. Big Baby Glenn... Davis. You know, these guys, man, unfortunate for them, they kind of ruined their reputation now. I mean, even Tony Allen, he was known for playing great defense on Kobe. Kobe gave him a lot of props. He's put his reputation on the line and also the safety of his wife on the line as she's now caught up in this situation and she's facing jail time and best believe they're dealing with the feds. So that fed time is almost guaranteed. The feds will pretty much watch you commit the crime still and they'll just build up a case on you. They never go after you right away. They just sort of let you fall into this trap until they pretty much guaranteed got you. So that jail time is almost guaranteed. But just looking at the risk reward of just doing this scheme, especially for the players that were just not the ringleaders of it, you gotta ask yourself, why would they even risk all this? And just me, I can't help but just think back to that Sports Illustrated article that mentioned that 60% of NBA players go broke within the first five years after retirement. That's kind of high. But then again, we got to remember, these guys, the lifestyle they're living, that money isn't guaranteed to come like that for the rest of their lives. There has to be a dial back. They got to dial back on like the places they're eating, the traveling, the homes that they're buying, the people that they're supporting. Let's not forget the people that they're supporting. A lot of these guys don't come from the type of backgrounds where, you know, their family members are well off they're the breadwinners for their whole family that's a major responsibility and it's very unfortunate because the family members tend to see how much money they made that's posted up in the media oh this guy's made 95 million dollars now realizing that there's escrow tax that the owners hold about 10 of the contracts for revenue loss game purposes they got to pay the agents they got to pay insurance they got to pay taxes taxes alone, it's over 40%. So then you gotta pay your agent his fee, you gotta pay insurance. I mean, these players make probably 30% of that money after paying insurance, agents, all that. But their family members are not seeing that because what's plastered all over the media is the amount that they made before paying taxes and fees for the agents, etc. So that exact total amount is never ever advertised it's always a pre-tax amount that's advertised and we've seen it play out last season with donovan mitchell and jason tatum as they both after their rookie extensions had signed a four-year 195 million dollar deal but that's what's advertised but in reality after their first years of that contract the way it was structured and them not making the all nba first team each of those players lost about 33 million dollars in the lifetime of that contract so that contract now is about 163 million and that's before taxes escrow paying agents paying insurance supporting other family members you see all these things tend to add up and that's why we we kind of see this shocking 60 percent of nba athletes five years after retirement go broke this is when stuff like this tends not to be as surprising we even mention baby mama drama divorce and bad investments as we see it play out with tim duncan and kevin garnett two players that are actually in the last like 20 years earned some of the highest salaries just from the nba not even including endorsements just from the nba they've earned a lot and we've seen it l- literally cut in half because both kevin garnett and tim duncan got ripped off by someone that was managing their money so we also got a factor in the predatorial people that kind of linger around these players it could even be family members that just sort of kind of try to get these guys into bad investments or they just straight up rip them off and speaking of family members let's not forget some of these NBA players are the breadwinners for their whole family their aunties uncles people who brought them to practices a lot of people feel like they're old and sometimes these players are guilt tripped into buying these people cars houses they're paying off mortgages for years that the houses that they don't even live in for other family members a lot of these things tend to take a toll and after that player retire and no longer making that same income per month things got to be dialed back and sometimes some of the family members are used to sucking on that thumb or they're used to sucking on that nipple and they don't want to let go and this applies to a lot of the players i don't want to say background doesn't really matter but human nature tends to kick in And if you're giving someone something for free for so long, after a while, when you take them off of that, there's gonna be a pushback, especially when your salary pre-tax is plastered all over the media, all over the internet. It's even on the video games, you can see the person's salary, but it never factors in some of the expenses that come along with it. And sometimes, you know, a lot of these players have family members or friends who don't really understand what it comes with making that kind of money and the responsibility You gotta pay certain taxes, certain agents. They don't quite understand the fees that come along with being in that tax bracket. So there's a lot of miscommunication and misunderstanding and they just see you as a person with money. So with all this said, we start to see kind of a vivid picture of why some of these players like Glenn Davis, Shannon Brown, Sebastian Telfair, Darius Miles, even though they all make great money compared to an average person, we start to see why They could have been put in this situation where they saw opportunity to kind of make similar income that they were making while they were playing and just kind of ignored the risk or just kind of downplayed it and just still took the chance. Because let's not forget a lot of these guys post-retirement, a lot of these guys are in debt, especially for the lifestyles that they were living. But it's very unfortunate. Once again, a lot of these guys, man, they're champions: Glenn Davis, Tony Allen, Shannon Brown. I mean, Darius Miles had a really popping podcast, so there's going to be a major rebranding for some of these guys' names, because once again, they need their names to make money post-retirement. They worked their whole life to build their names up. Post-retirement is usually when a lot of these players, they're not cashing in off their talent, they're cashing in off the name, the reputation that they had, their image, and this kind of hurts a lot of these guys' images. And it's not just players that tend to sometimes get caught up in these fraudulent schemes because of money issues that are part of the NBA. we also seen uh, an assistant coach in the Portland Trailblazers get caught up in this same scheme. And also, we could look back at what happened with the Sacramento Kings. They had an executive that was responsible for all the advertisements within the arenas. And the insurance company that had licensed the name of the Sacramento Kings arena Had actually sent the money instead of to the Kings into a sub account that belonged to that executive. He set it up with a similar name with the Sacramento Kings. He kind of took the money and he was buying houses and he thought he could flip the houses and then give the money back to the Kings somehow. And then he ended up getting caught by the feds. And even though he was already making great money, he was still greedy enough to try to commit even more fraud. It was so strange. Oh, man, it's just not the NBA players, man. It's just just something about that life over there. Guys see the money, the flashiness, the houses, the cars. And, you know, guys kind of get addicted to sucking on that nipple, man. I'm telling you. And sometimes they're, they're willing to risk it all. And this guy had a whole young family. He had, like, three kids under the age of seven, a wife. And he put everything on the line. They lost everything. It's very unfortunate, but... Going back to the players in this situation with Terrence Williams, now I wish the best for all those involved, but they're facing Fed time and that shit is serious. This scheme was running for three years straight, 2017 to 2020. And between all the players, they split about $2.5 million in payments. So that Fed time is gonna be serious. And once again, a lot of these NBA contracts are not exactly what they look like. We've seen it play out today. Bam's contract extension He lost about $17 million by not making the All-NBA defensive team. Same thing for Donovan Mitchell and Jason Tatum, both losing $33 million each. And the same thing for De'Aaron Fox. You got to take off $33 million from his contract because he didn't make the NBA All-First Team. So it is what it is. A lot of these things are not exactly what they appear to be. When you're dealing with billionaires, they're going to find ways to finesse those contracts. So when it comes to their money, they better stay woke. Now, Bradley Beal had made some statements about the vaccination, and I believe he's building leverage in order to remain with the Wizards in order to hit that 10-year mark as an NBA vet and sign for that Supermax contract, which would be five years for $235 million. Because if he signs right now, he'd only get a four-year deal for about $174 million. But it's ironic that he just made certain statements to make himself sort of untradeable that way, he can be guaranteed to sign for that veteran Supermax. And not all these NBA players, man, are after championships. Some of them are opposing, some of them are capping. And in the curious case of Bradley Beal, I believe he's capping a lot. <laughs> Yo, Bradley want that money. And knowing that some of the championship-bound teams like the Lakers would potentially make moves to acquire him. But at the same time, the Lakers are in a state that have strong vaccination protocols so him making statements like that automatically blocks him from a few teams and in general some of the nba teams that are in cities that don't even require vaccination protocols those teams themselves do have protocols and want their players vaccinated so him making comments like that he basically just alienated himself from a lot of the trade market and once again not all these guys want to actually go for championships some of them just want that payday And another player that's kind of in the same scenario, that's in the mid-season trade rumors is Damian Lillard. A lot of people are trying to figure out, trying to understand why does Damian want to stay in Portland? Especially with these new rules that they implemented in the league, as far as calling these fouls, it's affecting Dame's game. He's not as efficient as he was last season. Now the Blazers got a new coach in Chauncey Billups. And maybe some people are thinking, all right, maybe Dame is buying into the Billups experience. And in this past offseason, we got to look at the fact that the Blazers barely made any moves to improve that roster. And there's a reason behind that. So we got to look past the whole Chauncey Billups hire and thinking maybe Dame bought in. The way the Blazers roster is tied up with the salary cap, it's set up for the Blazers going forward for the next couple seasons to be in the repeater luxury tax. So on top of paying a luxury tax, the fact that they went over the cap more than two out of the three past seasons, They're gonna pay another tax on top of that so right now they're pretty much salary dumping and even with all that salary dumping they're still set up to be in that repeater tax going forward i mean they got the 10th most expensive roster in the nba right now and if you look at next year they're gonna have 107 million dollars tied up with just six players only and then for the 2023 through 2024 season They have $108 million tied up with four players only. Keep in mind, they still got to fill up this 15 man roster with other players while trying to stay under the $136 million cap hole. So, once again, next year they have six players tied up with $107 million. And then in 2023 through the 2024 season, they have four players tied up with $108 million. So how much better can your team get when in one season you have about 40 million dollars to spend but you got to get nine players and then another season you got to get 11 players but you already have four players eating up 108 million dollars of the cap so dame already knows this there's little room for improvement and does the blazers organization even want to keep paying luxury tax and then on top of that a repeater tax for multiple seasons going forward with a team that could barely get out of the first round. It doesn't add up. So just like Bradley Beal, Dame is kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. And it looks like, you know, he's built this brand over the last few years of saying that I'm loyal, I'm a grinder, I'm a, you know, work it out with my current team. I'm not gonna take the easy way out. So he's kind of built this brand around this, but it seems like at the same time, it's gonna stiple him from reaching to the highest levels within the league. So just looking at the roster limitations, you gotta ask yourself, why is Dame still in Portland? Well, he did sign that Supermax, and by the time he's 34, he could be up for another deal. And just like Bradley Beal, be the man of the team and get your money at the same time. And once again, not all these players are about championships. You gotta go by their actions. And just looking at Bradley Beal, his team is doing good right now. They had a great start, but he's in the twilight years of his career. And he should start to try to compete now for at least a championship or on that level as he's never been there before. And then you look at Dame, his franchise is in the reboot chapter in his tenure in Portland, especially with him being a duo with CJ McCullum. Their end is pretty much near. And as you can see from Portland's moves, they're really limited on how they can improve this roster. And ownership got to ask themselves do they want to pay so much money on top of the salaries that they're paying? in order to keep this together. So Bradley Beal and CJ McCollum, they're on the top of the trade rumors, but just judging by their actions, I don't think either guy wants to make a move out. So Taylor Rooks had sat down with Ja Morant, and she got some of his thoughts about the dunk contest and what could actually pull him in into participating in the event. Now, as we all know, the league is struggling to get notable names to participate in that event. And it's very unfortunate because that 2016 Aaron Gordon versus Zach Levine face-off in the dunk contest pretty much threw a lot of young guys off in the league from even joining that. Because first of all, the judges were wish-washy especially Dwayne Wade, he changed his score last minute. So the rules are not exactly set. And a lot of guys entering the league, they're entering the leagues with brands already kind of already established. So they're not trying to lose any notoriety or just take any hits to their brand. Particularly participating in a contest that's filled with guys that are role players or even some of the guys are on their way out of the league. So they don't wanna lose to someone like that in a contest because they don't really have that much to gain while that person the other end definitely has everything to gain so you guys check out this segment and every once in a while i'll check in
2: okay so i need a definitive answer on something there's no wiggle room you guys say right now are we ever going to see you do the dunk contest (laughs) (laughs) i don't think so really i don't think so now okay so we've had conversations about the dunk contest and i know your biggest thing is about the judging of the dunk contest
1: (laughs) so see there we go they spoke off the record and he mentioned the judging that 2016 the judging was just so off guys were just making things up they just kind of shrugged off dunks according to how easy it was for a particular guy to, to do even though it was a difficult dunk they said someone like him can do it way too easily it's just a lot of things were in gray
0: areas.
2: What would it take for you to be like, okay, you know what? I, I will do this.
0: A million dollars.
2: <laughs> Best not gets a meal.
1: It's funny how he mentioned money right away. Now, money can potentially get these guys in there, but at the end of the day, they're
0: thinking about their brand. <laughs> they give me a meal to, you know, and I I get a dunk contest. <laughs> So until then, I'll be watching and just, you know, sending my tweets out for the. AKA, it's not worth it.
1: <laughs> it doesn't help the brand. It's not worth it.
0: You know, judging the stuff. Well, I feel like now, you know, you just see so many, like, crazy dunks in game that when the dunk contest comes, you you just, you know, you don't appreciate the dunk as much. And not too many people can do the dunks, you know, guys are doing in that dunk contest. So mm-hmm. I feel like if you look at it that way, it'll be a lot of more... You know 50s
2: yeah at what point did you change your mind though because there was a time you were like dunk contest is great i love to do it one day then i just think you were kind of watching you're like all right maybe not like when did that shift happen
0: the judge like the past you know two years i was like nah
2: how would you judge it if you got to figure if you decided how they were judged who judged all that stuff tell me what your format would be for that
0: I probably would still do, you know, like the you know former players, uh, the judge, but I just feel like, you know, you just gotta look at it as how many people can actually do this dunk, or like how difficult mm. was it to, you know, do this dunk? Because even though like you have somebody, you know, made the dunk look easy, it's not like <laughs> it's times where like I'd be in the gym, you know, trying some of the dunks and be like, bro, like it took me ten times just to, <laughs> like. <laughs> And they go make it on their first time. So I feel like they look at it as, nah, that was too easy for him, but not looking at the actual dunk. So they have...
1: Yeah, he's exactly right about that. There's a lot of judges during these contests. They're like, hey, that's just way too easy for him. He jumps way too high. And they kind of misjudge it. They judge it off of how easy it was for that person. That's, That's a really bad way to judge the dunk. But at the end of the day, there needs to be some set rules for this contest in order to pull guys with more notable
0: names in this. Like, all right, this a eight when it should be a ten, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh,
2: like they actually just made it look easy, yeah. And that's like, why they should get the ten. That's exactly yeah.
0: why, especially if you doing uh, between the legs backwards, like same foot, same hand between. Like you don't see people doing that all the time. Yeah, that between the legs backwards or just between the legs
1: overall, we've seen it so many times, and even the judges that they kind of they kind of misjudge that dunk. Also, let's understand that we're in a more sensitive era right now with social media. A lot of the players that are coming into the league right now, they grew up with this. So they're more sensitive to a lot of the judging and they're not pretty much going to agree with a lot of the stuff. So that's why guys with more notable names, they're not participating in this. It's mainly guys that are on their way out of the league that's trying to make a name for themselves, participate in this contest.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. If you did the dunk contest in this fictional world, um, tell me three players that you think would give you like the best run for your money.
0: Uh, Like the
2: best competition for you in that dunk contest.
0: Zach Levine, uh, Aaron Gordon.
1: Now you see right there, Zach Levine, Aaron Gordon. It's funny how he mentioned that because that's the dunk contest that turned a lot of players off. We've seen the judges changing scores, kind of saying, hey, that dunk was too easy for that guy. Let's rank it lower. It's just a lot of wish-washy shit. So it's funny that he just mentions that dunk contest off rip, And Aaron Gordon has killed it in the dunk contest, but yeah, he's never won it.
0: And I'm kind of in a, a toss-up between uh, Derrick Jones Jr. and uh, mm. Zion.
2: Okay. Yeah. That would be a fun one. Yeah. Hey, maybe one day... Maybe <laughs> one day they fix the judging and they get the competition. <laughs> we can make this work, NBA. We can do it.
1: And she's exactly right. The league does have to kind of go in and put their foot down on this competition because it could definitely be a spectacle, but they've left the rules up to too many gray areas. And it seems like an event that's just thrown together real quick. And it's just like, let's just make it happen. It's not enough effort put into this actual event and the rules need to be more straightforward. But a friend of LeBron James did get on Instagram. He kind of mentioned or kind of allured that the reason why LeBron never did a dunk contest was because of these issues the fact that they had guys with lesser names in the tournament and also the fact that the rules weren't really set so it is what it is hey you guys hear from the horse's mouth directly and and taylor rooks kind of alluded to behind the scenes they spoke about this and like she said at the very end they can get the competition and the names together and just the overall rules and the judging this could really be an event. So it is what it is. The league is definitely aware of this. The Brooklyn Nets this season are in a very unique circumstance. They're almost operating from a position of power, but at the same time, they're kind of put in a reactionary mode of desperation. And we could relate this to the story of the city of Troy in which the city was viewed to have impenetrable walls, but the people and the army that was already inside the city walls were put in a reactionary mode of desperation When they realized the gifts that they accepted inside the city had the opposition's army hiding within them and once inside that army was able to open up the gates and wreak havoc within the city and eventually that pretty much led to the demise of the city of troy relaying this back to the brooklyn nets internally they didn't foresee kyrie irving causing an issue with him not wanting to take the vaccination and it's kind of having a domino effect internally within the nets First of all, James Harden this season cannot hide behind just being the facilitator and just kinda helping other guys get their shots like Kyrie and KD. The pressure wasn't as on him last season because he was just viewed as the the guy that's just doing the distribution, kinda getting the Nets offense to flow. There was no real pressure on James Harden last year. Even when Kyrie went out in the playoffs, everything was pretty much on KD's shoulders. So with that said, this season, a lot of attention, especially from that New York City media, is on James Harden to help Kevin Durant get to that promised land. And we all know how James Harden gets when that media pressure starts coming down. Things start getting murky. Let's not forget that time in Houston, especially during those playoffs. The second thing we gotta look at with James Harden, especially with Kyrie being out, and it's something that's pretty much overlooked, is that the Eastern Conference is a slow bump and grind conference. We gotta look at the teams at the top of the conference. You got teams like the 76ers, the Bucks the Miami Heat, all those teams are slow, bump, and grind teams. We're going to throw the ball down low to the post. We're going to beat you with our big man. We're going to play top-level defense. Our games might end up being 78 to 80, especially with these new rule changes. But we have to consider the fact that James Harden is in the Eastern Conference now, and he's no longer going up against those Sacramento Kings teams. Those Minnesota Timberwolves, the Lakers back in the day when they were a young team before LeBron got there, he would score a bunch of points on them. The Memphis Grizzlies, there were a lot of teams that just used analytics and was trying to imitate Golden State, but couldn't quite imitate Golden State. So that led to a lot of fast break points being scored nonstop. And you can even make an argument, unlike the Eastern Conference, the top teams in the Western Conference around that time used to try to imitate Golden State like the Portland Trailblazers, but they couldn't quite get it down right yet. And they also continue playing fast pace with little defense. And James Harden's kind of used to being in that conference, but now he's in a historically slower conference pace-wise and which also includes new rule changes. And which leads me to my next point, ironically, is about the rule changes. It's like all these things are falling like dominoes for James Harden. Not only he's in a slower-paced conference where he's going to get less possessions per game, he's also dealing with rule changes that's going to allow him to draw less fouls at the line, which was particularly a main contributing piece to his game, especially in the last like seven to eight years. There was even a point at the beginning of the season where for a stretch of three games, James Harden only took 15 free throws. That's kind of crazy because we used to see James Harden take about 15 free throws in a game. For just in one season, for things to get dialed back that hard, it's kind of crazy. And finally, the Nets roster construction and limitations with that roster. See, with Kyrie Irving potentially out for the season, they're kind of limited on what they could do with their cap. And their roster currently is very limited, especially at the center position. They don't really have guys to get rebounds, guys to get physical down low. So teams with centers that particularly can score could do damage against the Nets. And because that roster was supposed to be so top heavy, they could find themselves in certain stretches of the game. Their bench is not able to keep up with the scoring. Even though that Patty Mills signing is coming through for them, but they're gonna need a little bit more help than that. They got a lot of vets on that team. I'm talking about Blake Griffin, Paul Millsap, Lamarcus Aldridge. Kyrie's absence definitely has put a strain hole on James Harden and Kevin Durant. They're gonna have to pick up the slack. And ownership, best believe, is not happy about the situation at all. Because just with the repeater luxury tax alone, they're going to owe about almost half a billion in just luxury tax payments on this team since they've been over the salary cap since the 2019-2020 season. And they're going to be over it going forward, especially if they re-sign James Harden and they keep Kyrie on the team, or even if they go after another player, it's still going to be over that luxury tax. And so far for this season alone, I believe their luxury tax money is more than $300 So best believe ownership will start looking for this whole Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden experience to start paying dividends. As we look at the luxury tax chart right here, as you can see, they're gonna pay $2.50 per dollar for up to $5 million and it goes on so forth and so forth. And if they're above the luxury tax, for the last three out of four years. You gotta add another 50 cents on top for every 5 million per dollar. That's crazy. Once again, you fellas could do research on that luxury tax bill that the Nets owe for this season. I believe it's way over 300 million. And it's set up for them to keep paying that same tax for about the next three years. So ownership definitely is gonna start putting the pressure down on James Harden and Kevin Durant to start paying dividends in this whole investment. But yet the Nets owners, I would not be surprised if they don't want to put too much pressure, especially on James Harden, due to the fact that he could just walk away next year. So it's a pretty unique circumstance that they're in because they definitely have committed to this team financially. But if they start putting pressure on guys to win now, players like James Harden definitely do have the leverage to just up and leave. Same thing for Kyrie. And let me go back real quick and talk about these new rule changes because the NBA is doing something here, tweaking the product, for the viewing audience at home. Because in the last few years, the audience have definitely gotten used to every possession kinda looking the same, where guys are just kicking the ball out to each other and just shooting threes. It's pretty predictable. I believe the NBA, particularly Mr. Adam Silver, is taking a page out of the NFL's playbook, where they sorta tweak the product television-wise every couple of years to give the audience basically almost a new product. And we've seen the NFL kind of master this. They kind of tweak the NFL game where the at-home game experience is so good that you can make an argument watching the NFL games on a big screen at home is actually better than going to the game. That's how good the product is on TV. And the NFL has even admitted to struggling with this, getting fans to come to the games. But their TV viewership is through the roof. But Adam Silver, boy, I'm telling you, the way they have the officials calling fouls now, it's keeping the game under two hours and free-flowing. And if you think about a similar game that's under two hours and free-flowing, that's soccer. And you constantly see Adam Silver make references to in-game soccer tournaments, just like how they do in Europe. He's kind of tweaking the product to have similar characteristics of leagues that have success in viewing audiences from a certain age range, which is particularly anywhere from 14 to about age 45. So once again, correlating this to European soccer, their viewing audience has a high attention rate for their product because it's under two hours and it's constantly free flowing. And Adam Silver is trying to make sure the NBA product has similar characteristics because he understands those characteristics attracts the age demographic the NBA is trying to obtain and keep. And with esports and streaming services, and now a lot of the streaming services want to get into the whole video game world, the NBA now is in consistent competition with new competitors in the fight for younger viewers' attention. And let's keep in mind, a lot of these competitors, they're brand new competitors in the marketplace that the NBA never before had to compete against. We're talking about things like esports, virtual gaming. Even Netflix now wants to introduce a whole new gaming package, which is already included in their monthly price. So a lot of new factors are coming into play in the marketplace, fighting for people's eyes and attention particularly those from the age ranges of preteens all the way up to the age of 45. Ah, let's not forget about gambling. The NBA definitely wants to get into that marketplace. So just like the NFL, they're gonna have to tweak their product until it's a nice enough product where it makes it really fun for everyday person to gamble on, just like we see with fantasy sports and football. The goal here is to get the casual, to get into the gambling or get into the game, just like how the NFL does with fantasy football. So I'm definitely expecting a lot more tweaks and rule changes in the near future. And it's definitely gonna be an ongoing thing going forward. Last but not least, I wanna cover this Ben Simmons situation, as far as how it affects all the NBA players, especially when it comes to their collective bargaining agreement that expires in the 2023, 2024 season. Because the way it's playing out, when owners come to that negotiation table with the players, it's gonna look like one of those Avengers posters or one of those movies that said like the world's gonna end, World War Z, you see all like chaos behind them. It's gonna look like that, between the owners and players. Cause there's a lot of things that just come into play here. We see a lot of players under contracts for multiple years and they're just saying, I don't wanna play no more or trade me. So best believe billionaire owners, they're gonna wanna come out of that deal. And what pretty much started all this was when AD had requested a trade from the Pelicans with two years left on his deal. And that's another LeBron James, Rich Paul client. There's nothing wrong with players making decisions of where they want to go, who they want to play for. But we got to put some context under this because when LeBron James had made that 2010 decision, he was a free agent. And with Anthony Davis, we're starting to see a domino effect where guys sign brand new deals or in the middle of deals and they want out and they're trying to force their way out. Now going back to this Ben Simmons situation, he has four years left on his deal. And best believe because he signed to Clutch Sports, They're going to angle this every which way they can to find loopholes around this. And it seems like right now they're grabbing the loophole of the mental illness situation to still get Ben Simmons paid while he goes through some sort of psychiatric evaluation or just some sort of therapy. So once again, there's a clause in the player's agreement with the NBA that a player's salary is protected if he has an issue with mental illness. And with this clause, we can't be mad at Ben Simmons and Rich Paul because they should be able to play every card that they possibly can. Because best believe if the owners had a card, they would play it. And we've seen this play out with Ben Simmons in the beginning of the season in which they took his salary, a good portion of it, and they put it into an escrow account and they started finding him from that escrow account. So the owners do have their own loopholes to avoid paying certain salaries. They have their way around, best believe, They're billionaires, so they got a team of lawyers working on this paperwork. You could even look at some major issues with this current CBA in which owners kind of avoid paying certain players' salaries, especially after their rookie max extensions, like Donovan Mitchell, Jason Tatum, De'Aaron Fox. They all missed out money because a lot of their money's tied up to NBA beat writers voting them in into all NBA first teams. So each of those guys lost about $33 million each. So once again, when you're dealing with billionaires, there's walk-arounds that they kind of toe the line at. But the players also in this current CBA found their own way of walking around certain things, like walking away from certain Supermax deals and going to a team that they want to play for and then making it up on the back end. So the current Super Supermax was designed to keep players on their current teams. And as we've seen in the past couple of years, guys like Russell Westbrook moving, James Harden moving, it's not quite doing that. So that's what I mean when I say when the owners and players come together for the 2023-2024 season to discuss the collective bargaining agreement, it's gonna be pretty much looking like the Avengers movie poster. But just going back to Ben Simmons and the 76ers, this situation is getting nasty, especially due to the fact that ownership has committed salaries to Embiid, Tobias Harris and Simmons all the way up until the 2023-2024 season. And they're gonna pay repeater luxury tax on top of their salaries and on top of paying luxury tax. So you know they want a return. And meanwhile, at the same time, Joel Embiid, his prime years is pretty much the next four years, I would say. Because we all know Embiid he struggles to stay on the court and he's a big man where injuries always tend to follow him when we look at his history. Now, the 76ers have shown a lot of loyalty to Ben Simmons, especially in the past. They got rid of Jimmy Butler. They put a lot of pieces around this team that kind of cater towards Ben Simmons. And they never dealt with the reality that the fit between him and Embiid just doesn't work. Now, I can't knock the 76ers' hustle quite yet because they still have a play in their back pocket. And that's to sort of wait this Ben Simmons situation out. See if other teams that are perhaps trying to get to a certain position during the season get desperate and want to make a deal for Simmons. The Sixers organization got Daryl Morey, and this is what he's known for. He's a guy that loves to make deals. He sort of squeezes these deals out of nowhere. He did it for plenty of years when he was down in Houston, and now he's going to have to live up to his name and find a situation to deal Ben Simmons away and gain something back to take advantage of Joel Embiid's leftover prime years, as that window gets shorter and shorter every season. Remember, ownership is already paying all these salaries of Tobias Harris, Embiid, and Simmons. They're paying luxury tax and repeater tax on top of that. They're paying the salaries of the past coach that they fired, and they guarantee Doc Rivers a five-year deal. So there's a lot of money invested in this team already Daryl Morey has a lot of pressure to live up to. And as of right now, about the first few 10 to 15 games into the season, the 76ers do have a top-performing offense, so they're still doing their thing. So Daryl Morey might as well sit back and be patient while he tries to play his cards to get the best results possible. It is what it is, but Ben Simmons, man, he's going out kicking and screaming. He's pulling out every single card to get his way but there's gonna be a price that comes with it. A lot of this player empowerment, best believe is gonna be a pushback when that next CBA comes up. I'm telling you, man, they could look at Ben Simmons as facto number one when the players see that the owners are not gonna be budging for certain things anymore. Ben Simmons is gonna be the main catalyst of that. This guy signed a five-year deal and only played one year of it, and he already wants out kicking and screaming. He wants his way. He's not going to show up. He's going to pout. He's going to pull the mental illness card. He's going to do everything he can to still get his money and get his way. So I like to see how this plays out. I smell a dial back coming on all this stuff. So it is what it is. Until next time, you guys stay safe. Peace.